The content of this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice. Before embarking on social prescribing or anything else suggested in this podcast, always consult your GP or other healthcare professional first. John said, um, we still have steps to take um, so that politicians and key policymakers really take this on board. Um, but it's evident that social prescribing, um, we are achieving their aims and policies within their strategies and government policies. It's enabling for things to happen, it's empowering for communities. Um, and it should be that investment in, at its broadest level in the social model of health. The, the realisation and the real commitment to recognising that the number of um, social actions, social activities, social contexts that affect health are amazingly large. You're very welcome to uh, one of the first episodes of the Spring Social Prescribing podcast. Um, our two guests today are Claire Cook, who's the project manager for Spring, and John Cassidy, who is chair of the Scottish Communities for Health and Wellbeing. Um, just for the sake of our listeners, guys, I would like um, just to introduce you properly to the episode. So, John, if we could turn to you first, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself and the work that you do? Hi there, good to have a chance to talk about it, uh, what we're doing. Uh, I am John Cassidy and I'm the Chair of Scottish Communities for Health and Wellbeing. That is an organisation which uh, is made up of around 85 community-led health improvement organisations across Scotland. We have an outlook which is very much about advocating community-led approaches to health improvement uh, and that's what we we focus on when we apply for funding, when we add, uh, meet with the Scottish Government, when we meet with uh, national organisations. Our task is to raise the profile of that approach to health improvement and hope that it becomes part of the norm in Scotland. Perfect. And Claire, just coming to yourself, uh, as I say, you're the project manager for Spring. Can you tell us just how you got to that role and a bit about your background? Um, yeah, so I have worked in community-led health improvement for probably over 16 years now um, in various roles across Scotland, both in statutory and the voluntary sector. Um, I've always been passionate about the social model of health and reducing health inequalities, and this has really been the basis of all the roles that I've been involved in over the years. Um, I guess pre my previous role before I secured this job was essentially a social prescriber. Um, I supported people who had a range of complex and challenging needs um, and I supported them in a holistic way, connecting them to different sources of support and activities in the local community. So I guess when this job came along, it just felt like a natural fit and a natural progression for me. So um, I was delighted to get the job and I still really enjoy it. Um, it's still something that I'm really passionate about. And I suppose as well to Claire, having that background as a social prescriber, 
you would probably know and be familiar with what our current spring social prescribers are having to do every day helping people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's really been the value um, of being in that job before um, and being able to support the social prescribers in their role um, because I've done it. So I, I totally understand the pressures and just the challenges that they face on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and also the rewards. It is a very rewarding job as well, but it is, it is incredibly challenging what they do. So I really empathise with everything that they do. Yeah. And Claire, just for our listeners as well too, could you possibly give an overview of the Spring Project and what it involves? Yeah, so Spring Social Prescribing is a national partnership between Scottish Communities for Health and Wellbeing and the Health and Living Centre Alliance in Northern Ireland. The lead partner is Bogside Brandywell Health Forum. So we are funded by the National Lottery Community Fund. And we have 19 community-led health organisations across both countries, and they essentially employ a social prescriber who supports people in their communities. I guess the main aim for Spring when it was set up was really to influence policymakers and change the way that healthcare budgets were set. And it was really shifting the focus to prevent preventative spend um, and, and using that holistic health. Um, we Spring also offered um, an alternative referral route. So initially, we received referrals from primary care and GPs. Um, but as time progressed, as we went into a pandemic, we changed our referral routes. Um, and I think that's really strengthened Spring as it's went forward. So we received referrals from lots of different places now, including my housing association, the education system referring, um, and lots of different voluntary organisations referring. So that, for us, that was a benefit change in that model. Um, and it's really strengthened going forward. We also actually complement the Community Light Worker Programme here in Scotland and the multidisciplinary teams in Northern Ireland. And we, we receive lots of referrals from these services. So we really complement um, services that are on the ground already. Brilliant. And John, could you give me an idea of the... I suppose the landscape of social prescribing in Scotland, maybe a few years ago before spring came along. Um, the, the term social prescribing has been in the literature for a considerable, I would reckon, maybe now heading up for 15, 20 years in different parts of the world, but all with different interpretations. And in Scotland, uh, we didn't really use that a term till fairly recently, but as um, Claire had pointed out, uh, many of the organisations in Scotland, the community-led organisations, well embedded in their communities, working with individuals who are having difficulties of a whole range of types, particularly mental health difficulties, they'd been doing that for many years, but they didn't call it social prescribing. Um, it became a and a popular kind of phrase to use because there was a chance of perhaps attracting funding uh, into it because it, it actually took off quicker and in a bigger scale south of the border um, in recent times. But we've developed through Spring and through the work that Claire and the other folk are doing a particular approach to social prescribing. And it's, it is different from what existed before spring. 
um, the 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 notion of developing pathways of um, ensuring that referrals came from a range of different um, organisations became a, a part of a model that we've developed. But the important bit was that the social prescribers were based in community-led organisations. And that was critical. Because if you think what I just said, the, a lot of these organisations already had the experience, although they didn't call it social prescribing. They were 90% of the journey there. Uh, they were almost doing social prescribing as we were beginning to model it. Uh, and so the transition for a lot of them wasn't a big transition, but it was a supported transition. It was a recognition of what they were doing. And it gave us all a platform to go influence the Scottish Government and um, to say, you know, this stuff works. You may think of it as just a phrase, social prescribing, but we're making it a reality and it's a reality for lots and lots of people now um, who are benefiting from it. So please take notice uh, and begin to think of this as a way of improving health and well-being in Scotland. We keep hearing the rhetoric that we need to do things differently. Here was an opportunity. And to be fair, there's a higher profile of social prescribing among Scottish politicians now and uh, major national bodies. It has still to be translated into a national approach that sits alongside and complements the work of the NHS uh, and um, more locally uh, GP practices. So we've got steps still to do, um, but it's working towards that. Do you think with spring social prescribing, that's what really kind of separates uh, the, the pathway that, that we take in terms of it's a community-led model, the social prescribing, that can help the NHS? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, there's not a day goes by, but you see headlines in the newspapers about the pressure that the NHS is under. And that's absolutely true. But we're offering a model that would help to ease that pressure. Uh, it would uh, take some of the the what we call them, they're almost epidemics that we've got in Scotland. And I'm talking about things like our mental health problems, our substance abuse problems, obesity, physical health difficulties, self-harming, you know, a whole range of things that go on that disrupt lives, make quality of life bad, and they've been around for a long time. So the NHS the pressure they're under is because a lot of these things are still increasing amongst the population. And we're in a position to take some of the pressure of that. Uh, if, if, I mean, we're still small scale. I mean, in Scotland, we're in 10 areas, 10 communities. Well, we're now down to eight, but um, that across the whole country is not enough to make that difference to the NHS as yet. We need that um, strategic decision that says, look, we're now going to invest as a country in social prescribing and in the social model of health and in the way we are doing social prescribing in communities. That's what we need and yep. that's what we're working towards. Mm -hmm. I could help here and sorry, yep. just to add that um, from the very beginning, we have been monitoring and evaluating this whole project across two countries. So we have really good evidence to show that this works, this this, this has an impact on individuals, on communities, on healthcare and on government. 
And actually, in our recent evaluation, um, we were able to prove that people reduced going to their GP appointment and um, hospital. So, so we have really good evidence that this works. Yeah, that's great. And Claire, just on the back of what John's talking about there, about the, the need for a more kind of, I suppose, national strategy for social prescribing in Scotland. What, um, I know you've had efforts recently with the social, um, or the Scottish network. Um, can you tell our listeners just a bit about that and how that's kind of helped advance things forward? Yeah, sure. So, and around June 2020, in the height of the pandemic that we all faced, um, I was aware that Scotland didn't have a social prescribing network. Um, there was an England network, a Wales network, and an All Ireland network. So I really took that opportunity and I created what is now the Scottish Social Prescribing Network. Um, and the aim of the network is to develop the strategic direction of social prescribing um, and includes sharing learning, information, good practice, and just different lessons across different initiatives in Scotland. Um, so the network has been growing and developing for over two years now. Um, there is a steering group um, that oversee and develop the network. Um, recently, we had a very successful parliamentary reception um, in Scottish government, and had really we had key policymakers there, and they were really impressed by the network. Um, this is something. So myself and the steering group, we do this on top of what we do, and it's because we're really passionate about this. Um, so yeah, it's it's going well. Um, I think there is there's lots to be done, as John said. Um, we still have steps to take um, so that politicians and key policymakers really take this on board. Um, but it's evident that social prescribing um, we are achieving their aims and policies within their strategies and government policies. Yeah, and do you think is it is the message getting through to politicians and? key decision makers about social prescribing and even as John says having that that common phrase of knowing what social prescribing is do you think does that make a difference? Yeah absolutely um, I think as John mentioned before um, social prescribing is higher on the Scottish government's agenda than it ever has been um, so the timing's right for this um, as we know we've came out of a pandemic well we're still in it um, mm -hmm. but we're seeing um, increased energy bills now um, the cost of living is increasing. So social prescribing is really needed to support people in their communities now, um, more so than it ever has been. So politicians are really listening to us, um, which is great news. Um, I think there is, there's more steps to be taken, but we're definitely progressing well. Yeah. And do you think, does it help with having that community-based model of social prescribing? Like, I know during the, the COVID pandemic, um, you know, communities really struggle with that. And having our social prescribing based in the communities, you know, you really, you really seen that up close. Do you think is that the difference? They have it based in communities. Yeah, well, certainly with the organisations that are involved with Spring, um, they're very well respected. They're trusted. They are based in the heart of their communities, so they really know the assets that each community has, and they know the challenges it faces. So, I mean, during the pandemic was a great example of that. I mean. Um, the so not just social prescribers, but staff within these organisations really stepped up and supported people in really, really innovative ways. Um, so for us, that this is a complete no-brainer. We know that this works. Um, and like we've said before, we complement other services that are on the ground already. Mm. 
there is just... a difficulty, Kieran, that, yep. that um, during the pandemic, and just as you've both described, the activity amongst the community, voluntary and social enterprise sector was amazing. And it did amazing things and achieved, you know, a lot of positive vibes from all sorts of quarters, politicians, major organizations, whatever. And there was that, that kind of sense that this is the way we need to try and do things in the future. We need to change. We need to reduce the barriers to things happening in a responsive and, you know, a effective way, quickly. Uh, unfortunately, the evidence of that happening is fading. And that's a real worry um, that we go back to pretty well where we were because the, the heat is off. But the heat's coming back on. But it's not going to be the same kind of heat. The cost of living crisis is going to bring really new and oh, greater um, scale of incidents, of difficulties, of mental health problems, of family tensions, of community struggling, of businesses breaking up. And you know that, uh, you know, if somebody's got a wee business and it breaks and it folds, that has implications right across the whole family that's involved. So there's a new heat but nobody seems to be really recognizing that you definitely need these new approaches to deal with that. And they're not going to deal with it through the NHS. It's too big. You need to have every community in a position to do this holistic, um, um, individualized, call it bespoke response to people and their issues in communities where they are. Not, not having to go miles, not having to, you know, um, wait for hours or days or weeks or months or whatever, even years to get somebody to see you. That's particularly obvious in working with younger people. You know, the, the, the children and men, adult mental health teams are really, really struggling because of the, the, the volume of folk of youngsters with mental health problems. The tail end of COVID, long COVID, is not going to go away for a long time. So, you know, they are, I mean, Clara said no-brainer. It is actually a no-brainer to extend and invest in community-led approaches, including spring and social prescribing. Why we're not further on, I don't know. But we're working on it. Yeah. Uh, Claire, just as John mentions there, with these new fresh challenges that we're all going to face as a society with the cost of living crisis, for example, what do you think the challenges are for spring social prescribing? Well, I think John was alluding to it there. I mean, the big issue is funding. Um, that That is massive. Um, our funding actually comes to an end very soon. So we're trying to work with Scottish government um, really to prove that this model works, which we know it does. Um, funding's the big one, Kieran. Um, yeah. If organisations, if community-led health organisations don't get the funding that they require, there won't be services for people to access. And we know we know that these organisations are able to reach the people that are hardest to reach in their community. So as John was saying, the people that we support, they, they go to these organisations for support. 
So if, if services and activities aren't funded, then there's not going to be support for them. So that funding is the key one. That is the big one. Yeah. And I suppose if we were to look forward, um, you know, if you had a wish list of what you would like to see done with spring social prescribing and social prescribing in general in Scotland, what would you like to see happen? Um, well, first of all, I for me, it's not about one model fits all. Um, so obviously here in Scotland, there's the Linked Worker Programme, and I've already said that we complement that service really well. Um, so it's about investing in programmes that actually work, and we know that Spring works because we've got a great evaluation which demonstrates that. Um, the other thing I would say is for the Scottish Social Prescribing Network really to be valued and recognised as a strategic approach. Um, which we are working on um, but it's, it's the investment I mean that's the big thing we would really like investment um, we, we have been working very closely with Scottish government but we need to tap into places like Public Health Scotland for example or NHS so there's there's different routes that we can take that which we haven't done yet yeah there, there's a there's a major I mean the, the, the term investment is right and we use the the term uh, Enabling, 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 <laughs> enabling and empowering investment. That I think that's quite important. That it is enabling and it is empowering. It's enabling for things to happen. It's empowering for communities, um, and it should be that investment and in, at its broadest level in the social model of health. The the realization and the real commitment to recognizing that the number of um, social actions, social activities, social contexts that affect health are amazingly large. And I think most GPs, and there's a lot of research being done on this, the number of visits to GPs that are about, and there's a nice way of putting it, help me rather than fix me. Help me meaning, you know, it's, I don't need an operation, I don't need this, but my head's somewhere else, I need real help, I'm not struggling, I'm not coping, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm isolated. All these things are about the social uh, implications on health. Uh, and that's what we want to tackle. We've, we've got holistic approaches to people. It just makes so much sense. When a lot of GP time is spent on that, somewhere, some research have said up to, 30 to 40 percent of their time on that rather than the kind of really medical things that need you know expertise in medicine and operations and more drugs and whatever so we need to do something about that and that's going to increase so we need that enabling and empowering investment in the social model of health and we've got a model to help that investment work yeah, you mentioned there, John, about easing the workload of GPs and, and Claire talks about how spring social prescribing complements like the link program that's already in place in Scotland. Do you think is it a case of just, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats when it comes to social prescribing? Sorry, could you say that again? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying like, you know, if we invest in things like social uh -huh. prescribing, is it a case uh -huh. of like, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats where you know other things will benefit as a result absolutely they will um you know the that kind of investment is it's not a popular one with politicians i understand that 
because the benefits don't happen overnight and you don't get a lot of um, big headlines out of it. But it, it makes the real difference to all sorts of aspects of an individuals' lives, even to the point where, you know, folk have been so involved with their, these organisations locally, they've started to volunteer, when they feel better, they've started to volunteer for the organisation. Some of them have even taken on posts and become employed in the organisations. And a lot of others have started developing the kind of skills that gives them a chance of getting back into employment where they've been out of employment. So, you know, there's huge benefits. Lots of ripples go out from social prescribing, positive ripples into the community. Yeah, perfect. Um, folks, we're approaching half an hour now. Um, is there any other topics or things that you wanted to cover or discuss or how are you for time even? Or I'm going to mention one of my favorite phrases and you'll hear, <laughs> you'll hear Claire going, oh, no, not again. <laughs> you know, there's a phrase, I'll tell you, it's called failure demand, right? Okay, right. Failure demand, it goes right back uh, to, oh, the, oh gosh, I've forgotten the name of the report. Oh, can you remember, Claire? No. I didn't know that. Oh, anyway. <laughs> Failure demand is about where somebody maybe goes to a GP with a complaint, uh, a kind of more help me complaint. They're passed on to another service in the NHS and they look at some aspect of them and then they pass them on to another and they end up going round in circles and they, they don't end up with much better off. And then if and there's some good research where they've costed that for individuals and the cost is huge. And that's what's called failure demand, because you didn't get a holistic person, a holistic picture of that person. So you actually identified all the reasons that they've arrived at the surgery, um, rather than just one that they've told you. You actually have sat down with them. GPs don't have the time for this, but you've sat down with them. Social prescribers do that and they get a picture of their lives. They try and understand with them what are the, the real issues behind your problem that need tackled? Now, if you don't do that, you send them around lots of experts and lots of different services, and they're never seeing the whole picture. No one service sees the whole picture, so it doesn't work. And the person keeps complaining that it's not working, not working, not working, and they're back, and you've spent £100,000 on that. That's failure demand. The demand okay. on services by not taking a holistic view Social prescribing takes that holistic view. Yeah. And Claire, did you want to say something? Were you about to come in there? No? Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> Not well, after folks. that one. <laughs> no, I think that, I think you, you ended that pretty well, John. That was good. <laughs> well, folks, one last thing I'll ask you so for a bit of fun before you go. What, like, we know ourselves um, with social prescribing, you know, how important it is to look after people holistically and take on a broader view of what they need. Um, so we're always thinking about looking after someone's like mental health needs and their physical needs. What do you do personally to look after your own needs? <laughs> well, uh, for me, um, I I walk twice or three times a day with my dog in the forest. So for me, I, I love that because I love being out in nature and in the forest. Um, 
and also I've got an almost seven-year-old, so he he just brightens mm. up my day as well. So uh, for me, that's that's two things that I I do for my own mental health. And yourself, yeah. John? I'm I'm much the same. When you get to a certain age, which I'm well past, um, <laughs> it's really important to keep active, and you have to do just as Claire does. You have to try and take the opportunities to walk, uh, and uh, I do a wee bit of golf, so. You know, that helps with that. And I've got seven grandchildren, I'll tell you. After a day with seven grandchildren, you're, you're well and truly out of the ball game. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Spring Social Prescribing Podcast. Spring Social Prescribing is made possible thanks to National Lottery players with funding from the National Lottery Community Fund, the largest funder of community activity in the UK. For more information or to get in contact, visit us at our website at www.springsp.org or on Twitter at SpringSocialPRE.